Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. From Pee-wee to Dumbo and everything in between, join us every Thursday in April for Filmography Tim Burton. Our five-part season will break down all 19 of Burton's feature-length films to date in detail. Follow Filmography on Spotify or wherever else you find your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. of you amazing pod people out there i am your host leo phillips and this is another edition of this must be the gig it's a little podcast about uh, music and performance and connection and your backstage pass to the world of live music and uh, if this is your first time tuning in hello every single week i try my hardest to bring you a fascinating conversation from the beating heart of the live music and performance scene and that could really mean chatting to a musician a festival founder a choreographer a comedian an actor really anyone obsessed with performance in the way that we are but you know as usual before we dig in to this week's fantastic interview let's check in with our cc constant companion here at tmbtg studios engineer adam hello hey hello hello well if it isn't my favorite podcast host oh you said that in a radio voice i always have a radio voice because i'm a radio guy you can win this couch and a golf trip for two for you and your wife Susie. How do you know about Susie? <laughs> Who's Susie? How are you? I'm doing really well. It's been a great week here at the studio. We've been cranking through so many different episodes, so many different edits. I'm losing track. I'm just stitching 
conversations together from five <laughs> different people. Now it's a Frankenstein podcast. A Poddenstein. <laughs> I would be Dr. Poddenstein then. Yes. And then the podcast monster is the Poddenstein. Yes. And for anybody who listens to the show often, they know that I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And there was Ooh. that episode, remember, when yeah. they stitched together the old football player. Oh, no, wait. Yes. They brought him back and then wanted to bring him a wife. Correct. And then wanted to stitch together a bunch of different... They wanted Cordelia's head, I think. I mean, I would also take her head. After all that tinkering and experimenting, though, we have come out with a fantastic episode for you, as we always do. <laughs> and if you agree with that sentiment, please head over to please. social media and let us know about how much you love the show. You can hit us up at Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, all of which we are in the process of refreshing. <laughs> Trust us. No, okay. Just talk to us on Facebook and Instagram. Twitter for now in hiatus. At TMBTG Pod across all of those. Or you can also reach out to at Leor Phillips. She's much better oh, at social you. media and oh, she'll thanks. respond to you. Thank you. Or at least I just really enjoy Instagram because I follow only dog and uh, dogs. Oh, wait. Did dog, I mention that I also dogs? follow dogs? <laughs> um, yeah. But you can also see all of her amazing live concert photography, which is a must follow. I suggest yes. you head over there. Oh, bless your heart. Another thing you can do that really helps us out is to leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us. And also we'll give you a shout out on the show if you do. I also think it's important to me mention that this breaks our heart that we have to say this every episode. <laughs> but the truth is, is that if... The way that the algorithm works is that if you don't have many people with your with their eyes on your podcast, then other people can't. It's like the little internet bug follows the people and they're like, oh, great, you're there. We'll let everyone follow you. It's like a horrible backwards Pied Piper. Yeah. But if you want to be part of that process, <laughs> leave us a review on Apple, on Apple Podcasts. Um, but this week's shout out goes to a special reviewer named Being JB. Ooh. I wonder if it's Jack Black. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Or, th or, or... Illinois Governor JB Pritzker. Or John Bryan. Oh, that could be great. I or wonder. Janet Baxton. Or Julius Bumker. Juliet Binoche. Ooh. Ooh. Hello, Juliet. I like that I made up a name and then you immediately said Juliette Binoche, which is a but much better. Which is a button. It's a much better. Okay. But JB had this to say. Oh. Lior is fun, talented, and pouring her heart into this show. Oh, Love Lord. it. That's so sweet. Those are wonderful words. I didn't know you were going to read that out. Thanks, JB. This feels so strange because we do this from the bottom of our hearts and we have so much fun. And we don't like to ask for validation. But the only way that anyone can find us is by being validated. Be like JB and validate us with a review. <laughs> Five stars, validate please. Validate us. But uh, thank you, JB. That is incredibly sweet. Well, I think that's a valid segue <laughs> oh. into our chat this week and our guest. Absolutely. We are taking a break from the slate of episodes that we recorded from Moogfest this week to bring you a really special interview with a, a wonderful, wonderful artist, Hayden Thorpe. 
just a little bit of background for you. Hayden kind of burst into the indie world as a co-founder of the beloved Wild Beasts, uh, RIP, a band that truly helped me through some really intense and challenging times. I left uh, South Africa and moved and immigrated to the Middle East and uh, living on my own in a continent really far from home many of those Wild Beasts albums soundtracked my commutes alone and um, I feel like his sterling falsetto and really impassioned intimate lyrics truly wrapped around me and brought a much needed emotional depth and almost vibrant life to to really lonely times there's there's something incredibly safe about some music it acts like a safety blanket and I feel like uh present tense their 2014 album did that and um it's just ingrained in my brains and now three years out since the final wild beast record and the band's disillusion Hayden is now releasing his own project and it is a beautiful album wrapped up for you coming out on Friday called Diviner. And it's his debut under his own name. An album no less thrilling and uh, inviting and full of life. I can tell you it makes me feel, uh, although I'm not lonely and I have <laughs> much more of a grounding uh, in my new home, it definitely is that safety blanket again. Those are such rare experiences when you can find an album, when you can find a, a singer or a songwriter that can speak to you in that way. And it's just, he is definitely one of those people. He's got that incredible voice that really drives everything home. And in this chat, you and Hayden talk about how he sort of went about discovering how he would process music in this new way after Wild Beasts, particularly how writing on the piano helped him process that music, uh, using all four limbs at once to recreate the process of a band, which yeah, was really Yeah, we really dissect the um, symbolism of a piano, which I think, stay tuned, it's really fascinating. But speaking of symbolism, you two are really, really great on that level in this episode. Uh, I really loved how he discussed the balance of ego and superstition in songwriting about how, you know, music can almost act as an antenna to a different consciousness. Yes. It was beautiful. He has the best metaphors. It's poetic. I think I told him that during the chat. Not to mention his very first concert when he headed into oh, London yeah. from his small town home to see a certain legendary artist. I'll leave it at that so you can stick it around to hear who it was <laughs> that exactly. That was really funny. Amazing. Well, that was a great recap, uh, but it is nothing in comparison to the actual chat. So let us not be delayed. This is me and Hayden. Enjoy. Skype video calls were such a gigantic thing. And now oh, really I suppose... Was. You don't really want to see anyone's face. You just want to, you know, talk in maybe your pajamas or something, you know? Not to say that you're in your pajamas because it's like five o'clock or four o'clock where you are. I'm, I'm, I'm just out my pajamas. <laughs> what does your day, like typical day, look like now? Considering I'm kind of talking to you in a little bit of a sweet spot between announcing the album and waiting, you know, these last few weeks for it to come out. 
Um, I'm rehearsing a lot at the moment because I've got my first show in Paris okay. in a week. So I'm anxiously relaxed, mm-hmm. just playing piano from my front room. So we're kind of beginning at the beginning with my shows and, and playing the songs as they were written, mm. me at a piano. So it's a kind of strange sensation in full rehearsal, but it being me in my front room. But it, it, that's, that feels completely appropriate too. So at the moment, I'm kind of imagining, there's an imagined audience and... Uh, that's my day, really. But I like how you say you were like anxiously calm because <laughs> because obviously ang- anxiety is a is a quite a tense feeling for most people, and it certainly doesn't elicit calmness out of some people. So I quite like that the you know that the moment of that first show is coming and the album is coming out, but. Uh, you do seem quite relaxed, which is great. Well, I'm anxiously relaxed. And I mean, I'm of the opinion that everyone has a predisposition to a certain stress level. And if you are fortunate enough to be able to fill that stress with mostly good stress, Mm. then things are all right. I mean, I've had times when there wasn't good stress and it was a bit of a landfill of uh, the more corrosive stuff. Mm. So it's good stress. I mean, with any show, there is the complete existential terror of humiliation. and um, But that's also part of the thrill. I mean, that's the thing I said to uh, Leo Abrahams, who produced the record when mm. we first met about this record, is I sat down and said to him, I'm still up for the humiliation. <laughs> and... That 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 was a pact I made with myself to to say that I, I I still feel that this is I can serve this and this can serve me, and um, that that's the collusion is mm. is is what am I willing to give? Because the currency is your your, your spirit and and um, but you know also no one's gonna die, right? Than, right. The, the only thing that might die is my ego. Right. Yes. Or, or the um, idea of what that ego will become when it's out. So the perceived ego as well. Unless you carry that like every day, which is not really humanly possible. No, I mean, I, I often think performers need inflatable egos. They mm. need them to be able to be kind of flat packed and transportable. Right. And, they need, and when they need them to be a bouncy castle, they'll be a bouncy castle. <laughs> um, I've had many ego reincarnations. Which makes sense considering that you've had, you know, looking at the trajectory of your career, you've had moments of, you know, deep reflection within your work. You've had moments of you just playing constantly, touring all the time, which is a completely different aspect of your work. Um, But obviously going into it now, I also find, do you see songwriting then as a, as a type of almost magic unlocking those truths that you didn't know you had? Like how superstitious are you in that? Because I always find that speaking about ego, it's, it's not, it's not easy to speak about ego separate to serendipity or nostalgia or any of that, because you know, it has to be informed from somewhere. So do you believe Mm. that it comes from some sort Mm. of higher 
app magic? I I think I mean if we're talking about ego and we're talking about further internet consciousness. Right. I do I do believe that consciousness is external to the mind. Mm-hmm. I am a believer that we only perceive a certain frequency mm-hmm. of what is available to be perceived. Mm-hmm. And I am of the belief that music is one antenna to perhaps tune into different frequencies mm, mm. and experience consciousness in a different way. I suppose what I'm wondering, could it be difficult to see songwriting then linked to that, you know, that you're tapping into a different frequency because then any moment that you're not producing the way that you want to means could mean potentially something far greater that you can't tap into that. No, I'm interested. I, I, I'm interested by your line. Explain. Just because sometimes when you are aware that there are different higher planes, like we all are, when we're all doing internal work and we're all constantly working on ourselves, and then you bring in an art form into that and a creativity, when you sometimes I speak to so many people and sometimes they like this idea just shot out of nowhere. Yes. And, and I always worry because when ideas shoot out of nowhere, if you see that, if you see those ideas as the nowhere and coming from nowhere and being magical, then any mm. moment that you're not producing, it might mean something a little bit greater. You know, like what is the message then if you're not producing, if that moment, if you're holding on to that moment of, you know, being or becoming? Well, I mean, I do, my own personal acceptance is that periods of time without satisfactory creation are depressive periods Mm, mm. that there is that pendulum and it's kind of a necessary momentum to swing out of the frustration and the emptiness of, uh, and, uh, you know, and the, and the flaccid sensation of, of, Mm. you know, not being able to create. And then, moments like you say of of what feels like divine intervention where all of a sudden you're virile and you're mm. complete and and um you feel whole you mm. know and um this record for me was very much a record built on on intuition and i guess to define intuition it's to say it's um it's action built upon wisdom it's impulse built upon wisdom. So all the times that you're not acting impulsively, perhaps you are just kind of gathering up the the material mm. for that for that killer killer stroke. Um, but it is a superstitious business, songwriting. You know, it I is. I know. It's... I think so too. And people sometimes challenge me on that, but I really do believe that there's so many. Well, maybe just because I feel like I'm superstitious and I'm not a musician, but I do stand on the other side of it. Um, but I quite like superstitions. Like there's something really beautiful about holding on to something. I quite like that there is that mysticism tied to making music. You know? I think so. I mean, from um, from my point of view, you are summoning something from from where before there was nothing. There is a whole industry based around an intangible product. I mean, a song is a construction of the mind as much as the ears. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, 
and to hear a song is to hear that song through the prism of memory, mm. understanding, um, mood. Mm. And that's why I kind of, I, I personally feel songs are and are kind of essential to a sense of humanity. I mean, mm. remember Darwin was a musical mm. and Freud was a musical because they couldn't understand the irrationality of it. For me, I think on a basic level as a kind of a working singer, as mm. it were, mm. it's about maintaining your circuitry. Like your circuit mm. board needs to be able to conduct. Right, and, yes. Um, it's therefore kind of staying good and staying healthy and staying capable mm. of work, mm. <laughs> which because often your circuitry will, does require of you to be in some kind of contorted positions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> emotionally, um, are you speaking be emotionally? That emotionally, emotionally, yes. chemically, uh, geographically. Um. But if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it really, really doesn't. Do you find, though, that when it didn't work, when that charge was almost unplugged within you across the years, because nobody can continue, you know, we're human. As you said, I sometimes find those low moments incredibly revealing. I don't really shy away to those moments. But I, again, am not in the public spotlight, so I can only speak from my uh, own personal comfort zone. But when you do, when that circuitry... Uh, um, to follow on the metaphor kind of just you know mm. malfunctions a little um <laughs> you know having like celery juice and uh you know treat being vegan or or what have you doing things to just your diet is is sometimes not the way forward so how do you then make sure or how did you because i don't want to assume that you were there but when it happens how do you make sure that you get yourself back a little like what is your grounding what is the thing that grounds you to get you back to to having that circuit working the making the joy is in the doing mm. and even if you're making stuff that you loathe mm. right you're the, there is value in the loathing i'm consistently shocked at how often the only reason for doing this comes down to compulsion right that no no matter what scaffolding, whatever mm. safety nets you construct, whatever objects you have, whatever possessions you have, so often it comes down to the compulsion to make. And I think it the, ne the necessity is, it becomes a kind of how, a way for me to neurally balance myself in terms of to sing is to stimulate your body and your mind and to kind of just I don't, know, I don't know just kind of it becomes a a habit a habit that that from which you can from which you can live your life mm. on a daily basis um mm. so a lot of my favorite artists have made have made have put out albums that are really from their dystopian inner yes. times as okay. it were and I always find that greatly relieving and makes me love them more. And from within those dystopian ruins, you often find the fragments of of real insight and beauty. But you've just got to have the, the cojones to, to stick it out there. <laughs> Which is so obviously tough because you'd, you'd never really hear about the failing. 
you know, you sometimes, uh, especially just within how our minds work, uh, some people gravitate towards, you know, all the songs that you absolutely hate or all the, all the work that you hate or sometimes you gravitate toward the things that you've done well. So sometimes at the end of it, when it all comes out, you like, well, you know, and that's what that's why it brings me to the word compulsion, the word magic. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I like that idea of at the end of it, it's the process has happened. You've created this 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 music you're singing. Yes, I mean, I think in our civilization, if I can use such a grandiose term. <laughs> Yeah. The individual, especially at where we are now, the individual is king. Mm. All triumphs and successes are down to the individual and all failures are down to the individual. I've been in a band for 15 years, so yeah, I, w- I was used to having it be the team who failed or succeeded. Right. And I do, I do acutely feel, I do acutely feel that different sensibility in... in 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 emphasis really mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but my mantra and something that samuel beckett mm-hmm. so generously once wrote was ever tried ever failed fail again fail better yeah and there's this notion of failing better mm. that is just so all-forgiving mm. and i mean i'm 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 northern english and uh, Northerners are known for their dour, <laughs> yes. beat-down stoicism. Um, but I, I, you know, to to fail to fail better is a is a is for me an exciting possibility. Mm. And also, of course, the main difference between being a solo musician versus a band, you know, just that like, just that headline almost. It, it, it's it's that you become also more aware of your space. You know, you don't have that family around you. You're alone. And going inward, you almost have to suddenly be very aware of that space. So it's not only going toward yourself. It's also figuring out that self through a different, you know, in a different way. Because it's not, you know, that sounds simplified, which I'm sure it was much more mm. complex for you. Mm. Um but what did you what did you find then in that like how comfy were you straight away because everybody's like oh you have a solo album you're fine now and it's like <laughs> well i'm sure it was really difficult for you yeah i guess a lot of the songs on the record are about the disentanglement of attachment mm. and kind of deciding who has custody of what <laughs> right emotions and who has custody of um mm. what what kind of psychological belongings because um yeah from the age of 15 i had been in a, a second family uh, and anyone who's been in a band will say the, the relationships within a band are incredibly unique relationships they're they you are family but you're not blood you mm. are business partners but you're best friends you aren't in our case you aren't lovers but you have incredibly intimate it's a very particular way of arranging people Mm. Um, and it's it's something i feel immensely grateful to have experienced in my life but yeah i have to say 
on the fallout of it, there is the sensation of bewilderment. Mm. And, mm. and I guess harsh, harshness to the world. I think being a, being a, a, a musician, I'm, I mean, let me put it this way. Mm. Harsh, harshness to the world in that I don't consider myself as a survivor because of my talent. Right. I consider myself a survivor and someone who's putting a record out now because of a particular alignment of personality traits. Mm -hmm. And that's this strange cocktail of someone who is robust and mm -hmm. tolerant, but also someone who is pretty open-hearted and, and mm. able to be vulnerable which is an amazing balance yeah it's really hard to get there it's hard to get there and it's hard to stay there mm, right <laughs> but, right but but the the the, the 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 work is the staying there which is mm. why the making is so essential because mm. the only reason for maintaining yourself there is for the pursuit of of beauty i mm. guess if, I, if i'm allowed to be use that word it's to invest in something that you feel is uh worthy mm. so you said that you started the when did you start the band were you in bands before wild beast yeah. when when did you that was my first band i was 15 oh my gosh that's so young i i didn't realize with the timing because i know that i i think when i first started seeing you it was like before 2010 i suppose well, so I just don't think I didn't think really about the time frame because you only really started touring in like what was it two thousand and what are we in now two thousand nine so two thousand and seven yeah it's so true two thousand seven yeah. I think thank you I'm, for the knowledge yeah. I'm probably gonna have to go back and check that but if you are confirming that right now, yeah 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 did you always have a sense that you would be a musician or an artist of some kind? Was that always kind of in your makeup when you were younger, even before 15? Yeah. I mean, I would say I learned piano briefly uh, as a as a seven-year-old to a 10-year-old. And I, okay. I stopped because I preferred making my own songs up. And I also, and I also at that age, came it came across a dilemma which has been the same dilemma which I deal with here now mm, mm. which is the inner world versus outer world which is the my you know which is the pull mm. of reclusion which is the the comfort and um satiation of inverting mm. to to an inner space mm. um but that inner space only survives in a, is only a world because of its existence within the outer mm. and that, that 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 that's a dynamic that i think um i imagine is within many creatives is is that in order to bring something to the world you have to go very very within right and and within at different phases as well because we aren't uh we aren't concrete we are consistently changing so well we are consistently changing and that is that is something i came to realize was that um with this record because i was very mm -hmm. conscious of not wanting to make something that was too too break up heavy and too kind of um too concerned with uh such a, a changeable event mm. but but i came to realize 
beyond this change is just another change. And mm. beyond, beyond that change is the change. And that, um, and therefore there is, there is the, there is the resource within that change that the fibers, muscle fibers are always getting broken. Mm. And, 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 and um, I guess, again, this brings us back to the mysticism of songs because yeah. if you're, if your currency is songs, you don't, you don't trade in, in um, something that is quantifiable. Mm. So I think you become quite used to the fact of not owning the thing that you I mean, obviously, you own the copyright to it and you own the kind of... Right, the logistics side of the business, yes. The logistics side yeah. of the business, but 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 it also doesn't belong to you. I, I, I mean, I quite like that you feel that way. I do, I definitely hear you because you are lending yourself to this medium and then it goes out there and then it's however it's interpreted. Uh, it becomes everybody else's, I suppose, which is the beauty of music. Um, which is how we can all feel connected without actually being connected at all. In my mind, I always think after a band has broken up, essentially, which I also think that term is quite uh, problematic because mm. breaking up sometimes uh, means that one party didn't really want to and the other was like, nope, we need to carry mm. on. So I, I, but I do feel um, just from knowing uh, the story and, and, and obviously reading a statement that it felt amicable at the time, unless, unless that was something that you were planning to do. Like how, how far before you decided to, to do your solo, to, to make your own music, how far in advance did you even think of that? When, when did it all start sloshing um, around? Well... I mean, in terms of our changeability, I feel very fortunate to be in in a line of of a lineage that mm. allows for that changeability and actually thrives upon that changeability. Um, I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. I think these songs emerged by osmosis. I wasn't mm -hmm. planning on them being a, a a solo record. I came out in hives a little bit with the with the tagline solo yeah i know it's um, awful it's horrible it, it, it's, it's, but it's naming things as well which i can imagine just from speaking to you for the last few minutes is is really challenging just naming things is so hard because of, well, of constant yeah. evolution well yeah. my my i i wrote these songs under the name hayden and the hologram mm -hmm. okay it it was actually it was a record it was a record I was projecting mm. and um, there was the me who was doing the, the band day job, which was kind of the the front man who was playing festivals yes. around the world. And the last record we made required quite a bit of fronting and frontmanship, if you will. I was almost method acting as myself. Right. But there was this chasm um, it, the circuitry of that chasm was served me. So, um, yeah. And then when I had these songs and just about when it was finished, I realized that the hologram, I had almost stepped into the hologram <laughs> and I had become it. So therefore mm. 
why do I need to frame it as a hologram? And I suppose it's also easiest to assume a role in the beginning and then you just naturally find your fit inside that role. I think there's so many artists that do that, you know, when you talk to them like Alice Cooper, you know, when I spoke mm. to him, he was speaking about his wife and his wife was saying hello in the back and he was talking about Alice Cooper. It's such a weird example, I know, but uh, <laughs> it, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't, you know, um, but he was speaking about Alice Cooper in the third person because it was a character that he hasn't stepped into that he, because of his faith. It's he is a Christian and he completely believes that that is on the stage. Um, that's one extreme example, but I quite mm. like the idea of of creating something which is also quite comfortable, right? When you create mm. when you created that hologram, I'm sure it felt comfortable for you at the time to to lean into something that was so new. It, yes, I mean, yeah, it felt. I, I it could be what I it, and this is. <laughs> It was literally a projection of myself, mm. and and that projection was fuller than I felt at the time. And therein lies the self-medicinal properties of songs mm. that uh, and how they are a form of divination in that they they are a seeking of some kind of forward motion. Right. Is it, Does that just, make sense? Yeah, I, no, absolutely. I'm just actually, I was thinking, I don't know why, but in my name, that one of your songs on your upcoming record came yes. to mind. I think there's a line. I listened to that, I don't know why, that song in particular a few times over mm. and repeated it. You know, sometimes it's some mm. stick. The whole mm. album is just totally wonderful, and I'm oh, so okay with gushing about it. Um, it oh, will make you feel so comfortable, fine. but <laughs> uncomfortable. But you know, I don't, I don't mind. Um, Thank you, Leo. It's Thank it's you. an absolute pleasure. It was such a joy to listen to, and um, mm. there's that line where you say, "I've answered that voice." I think if I might be misquoting the wrong song. No, you're right. You're right. I've you're answered right. that voice. Something yeah. I've made that choice. Yeah. Yeah. So were you referring, is that what you're referring to? That song is the only song I've ever, that ever landed on my lap in full. Mm. That song was the only one that came fully formed and with a bow on it. Mm. And it came the week after the band's last show. Wow. And it, it sounds was, like it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, the, the, the words were in my mouth. It, mm. I can't, I can't say they felt like they went gut to mouth rather than via any conscious thought. Um, and I actually remember asking Leo specifically about that line. Is that, is that That's okay? Funny. <laughs> um, and I don't often ask him because I don't often second guess lines because I think they're there for a reason. But that one I thought, and he said, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so it's not, I mean, it's not as, I don't, I definitely think it's like a, it's like an Easter egg, to be honest. It's definitely not, it's not something that I think will, st you know, we all have our own uh, subjectivity toward music. So I think it just stuck out, just, con you know, in relation to what you were talking about. I love the word hologram in this, in this respect. Um, mm. Holograms kind of lost its meaning since we've butchered it. Um, but there's something great about it's like the shadow, the con the philosophical mm. idea of a shadow, mm. um, and mm. a hologram mm. can serve as the same mm. thing. 
Um, mm, so, mm. so when you, after that last show, do you remember that show at all? And is it okay if we talk about it or is that something that you, cause I also want to be very generous and gentle with your process. I don't really, oh, you know, well, I don't really. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, no, the last show was, did justice and honored the lifetime that had gone into it. It was a really poignant and beautiful night and it, it it's a pillar in my being. It's something that I know was done right and and goodbyes, if you can hold with them and if you can suffer them long enough, uh, can be very beautiful and generous things too. And um, I said everything I wanted to say and I saw everyone I wanted to see. And um, I have to say that the toddler in me didn't want to have to go through with any of it. <laughs> I'm that, sure. Oh, Gosh, my God. I'm sure. That, um, you know, it, I... I, but but it was it was it was it was it was it was right because um, now I dine out on stories of my new songs and not I'm not I'm not kind of going to the fridge for yes you know I'm pulling back the glad wrap on or, or feuds as it were right yes I would say I mean using that analogy if you go into a band at fifteen. Aspects of yourself are cryogenically frozen at thirteen, at fifteen. Mm, yes, with the most um, formative of when your brain is kind of, yes, babbling. But, yeah, yeah, and 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 it's quite a specialized, uh, you know, being a frontman is quite a specialized job, and uh, I guess there was a thaw, there was a deep thawing after that 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 night of of. Aspects of myself that had been held, I guess, mm. held in place without real need for them. And um, because within certain families, you don't need certain aspects of yourself. But I am of the mind that we are all many people. Absolutely. That, I totally that, agree. Yeah. yeah. That the people that we are are the people that we are according to the arrangement of now. Mm -hmm. And that one or two decisions either way we there is there is a vast and plentiful other ways of living and forms of being and i find that yeah. really reassuring absolutely and so comforting as well i feel like i definitely relate to that a lot because i have no idea who i'm going to be tomorrow the core is still there i'm definitely going to be me yeah. um i my yeah. defaults of of a little bit of lightness is definitely going to be there but i have no idea what certain circumstances will come that can you know because i feel shifted sometimes very quickly whether that's via whatever influences are around me or internal things that I haven't worked through that are, you know, coming that I still need mm. to attack. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. But I feel like every creative process really presents its own challenges that you just have to almost problem solve on the spot, you know, oh, totally. but, yeah. but yeah. in the process of making this album, were, what were the, what were the biggest I don't want to say surprises because it doesn't feel like you are completely uh, devoid of uh, being aware. It feels like you are very aware of yourself, whether that's, you know, whether you are the hologram or not. But what were the things that you maybe surprisingly that 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 were surprisingly difficult that you didn't expect 
you know, so when that, when you thawed, which I love that analogy, by the way, because shedding skin, sometimes I can't connect to, but thawing is such mm. a wonderful visual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So when you thawed, what was, what, what was there? What did you find? You know, a lot of memory is formed in the company of other people. Your memory works, mm. you know, the eyes look externally and memories formed. And you said that, you did that, you looked like that. This is what this felt like. A lot of the time in making this record was spent very much on my own. And therefore, it's a kind of a sense memory. It, it, it feel, It's a different feeling. It's a different kind of memory. It's not something I can recount uh, in a narrative linear sense. It's more this... What I found in that time, what I found about myself was a stillness and uh, a peace and also a great sense of privilege that I was right, still writing songs. And I know, I know, I know, I don't want to sound overly earnest, but that really is like a one percentile privilege mm, right. to, to, spend, to spend your day considering songs. Um, and I guess part of the responsibility that maybe is the self-interrogation that comes with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say the days were always easy. There was like deserts of aching and, and, mm. uh, and, you know, kind of pining for the, for different kind of attachments and, 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 and uh, more solid ways of being. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the, uh, the self-aware, you know, in mm. the self-aware sense, what I found. Um, I mean, I guess I always thought of myself as a singer. That was always my title. Wow. Yeah. And um, and it, when it came to recording, I really struggled to sing. Really? Were you I just really... were you at the piano? So you so you had written everything. I'd written everything, and it came to sing, and there was okay. just some voodoo voodoo at my door. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So I guess that was, I guess that was the point where I was really having to ask myself, are you the singer? Like, you know, even the word falsetto implies falsity. Mm -hmm. I had to go and stay in a hotel for two weeks. I left my, I left my home and, and, and stayed nearby in a hotel because I just had to, uh, I guess, take a holiday <laughs> from... <laughs> From yourself, from my, you can't run away. <laughs> yeah. No, but but also that's what you used to as well. From all the touring, you're staying in hotels. You're not really at home consistently either. Well, you hadn't been for. for no, exactly. For a I long mean, there's time. there. There is there. I mean, I do find great comfort in movement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't moving. I was. I was pretty solid. It was pretty. Pretty. It's pretty. Um. Um pretty still at that moment mm. and it's funny because i suppose also there's something because did you write your songs on the piano to begin did, with yeah yeah because i feel like the the piano's the piano's bass and melody right at the same time which is mm. interesting mm. counterpoint mm. coming mm. from a band where you're the one part of a whole and now a solo project, which we'll use solo very lightly because both of us hate that term. But mm. you're now a project where you're now all the parts as well. So finding, I think that there's something much deeper in just saying you found your voice because you had to found, find also all the parts as well. I think that's so beautifully put. Thank you. Um, Thank you for understanding my rambling. Yeah, no, I know. I, I really... I... <laughs> 
Yeah, the only thing you've landed on something important there, and it's the piano was a gravity. It was mm. you can't move a piano; you have to go to it. I, which is what I love about it. Yeah, and exactly. hate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And um, so you're right. A piano is bass, melody, rhythm. It's left hand, right hand, left foot, right foot. In that way, I think when when a piano is in a home. Uh, it becomes emotional kidney. Mm. It metabolizes a lot of what's what's in the house. Uh, you know, you, you walk into a home with a piano, and you just it gives you it, it gives you it tells you something about who lives in that house. And I that that was actually the first possession I bought um, upon the band's decision not to be a band anymore. Um, my next action was to get that piano. In, oh, in, in, in my home. Yes. So you didn't buy a new one. You brought the your the one that you used to use. I I didn't have a piano in my house before that. Ah, okay. Uh, interestingly, music to the music had become a very external thing. It wasn't something I did at home. Okay. And That's the, the, interesting. And in in everything that happened, music came back into my home. I mean, you can hear it in just the writing. I'm not sure where you wrote it. Um, it doesn't sound, I think that word movement is so important here because if I were to be reviewing your album from a critical point of view, there's so much movement. It definitely doesn't mm. sound like you were in one spot. I, I think that some of the songs may be connected, um, but I definitely, when you, when there's so much fluidity and there's so much, it's so delicate in parts. Um, and yeah. I love right. I love some of the yeah I I there's that impossible object song where you're mm. talking about a mirror which can get so cheesy and you do it in a really kind and really honest way um you know saying that it won't <laughs> reflect the person or the thing the same way that that you do um that was really strong yeah thank you for forgiving me that (laughs) well you mentioned mirror quite a few times no you mentioned it twice i'm just like i have one of those like knee-jerk things you know there's certain songs where you you just know how either poets or writers have taken a word and used it in context that just don't you can't relate to and i feel like you used it in such a beautiful way to describe an idea in that moment in that song um, Thank you. Thank you. But yeah. yeah, where did you get the drive after that last concert? Where did you get the drive to? I know that you know. In my name, you mentioned came straight after that. But where did you get the drive to continue as an artist? Because it, it, there's so much decision making that happens after something ends. You you have to that you know the concept of movement comes in the concept of ego comes in pretty much everything we've spoken about. Mm, but did mm, you did you mm. have to have a almost a conversation with yourself like this is my this is what I need to do this is this is what fuels me you know how because I, I, it doesn't sound like you were aware that you were writing a solo record when you were writing it. I wasn't you know. I mean all the songs were written before those last shows other than in my name. Oh wow! Okay. So um, there was an incubation period mm. uh, where, where contractually we couldn't tell anyone uh, of the decision. It was about nine months long, and oh, so you couldn't months, tell anybody that you were breaking up. Okay. No, because okay. Well, we had obligations to. That makes sense. Different people. Um, yeah. 
so it was in that time of secrecy where the songs came to be and where I kind of, you know, yeah, created a, a hologram album. I, I was, in a, in a sense, creating a world for myself to step into while the one I was in was mm. evaporating. Mm. Um, and I've always had that sense from making albums that in some ways you are, you're making worlds for yourself that you, you will, the reason for doing it, again, it, it comes down to compulsion and mm. therefore it comes down to well-being. Mm. And the compulsion to make is because my well-being, I'm better, I'm healthier, I'm more well with songs to think about. And songs and songs to sing. Have you always been like that? You know, considering you did start out when you were... I mean, 15 nowadays is not young. But when I was 15, that felt very young. You know, I, I'm 33 now. It feels like 15. I know who that person was. But, you know, did you always feel like you started out like that? That when you... Like, what was the, what was the cause of that urgency when you were younger to write a song or to play music? Um, well, I always... I had two... My plan from a very young age was to either be um, a, a star soccer player. Okay. <laughs> and if and if that didn't work out, yeah. I was going to be a singer. Oh my gosh! And okay. I mean, those are two d- d- defined roles in society. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it comes to, probably it comes from for whatever reason having a bit of a, being an in, an overly intense, overly serious kid mm. with a with with um, a hero complex. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, um, but we love him. I mean, he's great. <laughs> <laughs> were you playing a lot of sport when you were younger? I in was, an... yeah. Okay. I, I was very sporty and, and uh, yeah, I was very sporty. And it, it, so being a singer was always plan B and it became okay. apparent at, at, at 14, 15, it became apparent I wasn't going to make the grade as a, as a <laughs> soccer player. Okay. And strange. And it's a, it's a strange parallel now that I'm now of the age where soccer players have to retire. Yes, exactly. So you can you imagine you would have to stop everything you loved? Exactly. <laughs> and at, this, at this at this moment of rebirth, mm. I you know there's this, there's something I, I do think about quite a lot was that my body would be failing me now, just at this moment where my craft and my mind and my art are really serving me in ways that I'm you know pretty incredible and are so strong so was it were your were your folks into music how did it hit like how did it you know what was music playing constantly were your friends sharing you know cds and cassettes and things with you how how much was music a part of your life because it sounds like as you said it was your second option so were you doing that in tandem to all the sports or was that like pushed from family or friends? It was, I wasn't. I know I didn't grow up in a particularly musical home. Both my parents uh, were academics, mm. um, sociology academics, and um, you know they had, you know, the regular kind of lecturers' jobs at, at, at you know, the local university. And as a six or seven-year-old, joined the Church of England choir at the local mm-hmm. church. And that, because we got paid, yeah, <laughs> we got we got paid some money, and so strangely enough, I felt like I've been in the hustle as a singer from a very young Much age. Much longer than just from fifteen, yeah, yeah. And I guess 
singing like ancient psalms and ancient hymns at that age, you do, I wouldn't say I had a spiritual connection to them, but you do have a sense of being more than you are. You know, I felt very old singing those right. songs in, in Latin and, and mm. in these kind of strange languages. But so that was my first real, and also hymns and psalms are such sorrowful often. They're so morose and like, it was teaching me of emotions I hadn't yet felt. Mm. So you were learning them via the via the via, yeah, exactly. It was coming through um, you. I mean, because it's all storytelling, right? Which is weird because that kind of relates to the name of your album as well. Um, because it's all storytelling, and you get to attach yourself to this character, which is again, it's not it's not a form of backing down as a human, but it's such a great way to learn who you are because sometimes I find even just listening to a song I can get that emotional frequency you know I tap into like oh today I'm feeling sad if I listen to a song you know that maybe I hadn't listened to in a while or I feel energized you know not I'm not talking about tempo and the theory behind it yeah no no. I mean to take a song into your mind is to absorb that other human being's rationale yeah and that the the constellation of that other person's mind Mm. and and therefore to some extent you become them so then how did you go from that to finding your own voice and telling your own stories or were those stories you've you know when you were young and when you first started out with with the band do you find that those weren't as uh personal maybe you know a lot of the songs we wrote as a band i think were because of the constellation of us as individuals. And I guess they were very, there were songs that really, in my mind, kind of confronted our masculinities. Mm. Like they really, they really made us consider ourselves as men. And I mean, the other guys might disagree and I won't, I'll, you know, I don't want to reserve the right to have final sentence, but I did, I definitely felt like the mother in the band. Mm. I definitely felt like <laughs> um, my position within it was the feminine and uh, the feminine energy and, um, I guess for me, I've always reserved the right to have my feminine energy. And and there was a, a nice correlation of that feminine energy was also my protest energy. Mm. That that what was expected of me as a man often felt pretty um pretty corrosive. So it it was a it was a nice alignment that when you know when I discovered that to my great annoyance i couldn't sing the the arsenal of oasis songs i'd learned and i just i just couldn't pull off the nirvana songs and i was kind of beat up about it until i came to realize that the higher i went um the more i stepped into something that felt appropriate to me mm. uh, and how was that performing that live do you remember your first ever concert that you performed yeah i remember it very well um okay it was with Wild Beasts. It was just me and Benny at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always had a, like, I've always had a, f- a physical response to shows that has served me, and that is I can sing fuller and higher. Okay. With, <laughs> with the more pressure. Oh, um, oh, no, that's dangerous too. But, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's what that happened. It was, it was at a working men's, it was at a working men's club in mm-hmm. downtown Kendall, um, and we played some songs. One of the songs we played, uh, Star Signs, 
uh, a version of which actually made its way into Diviner. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 instrumental track um, "Spherical Time" mm-hmm. is actually okay. made up of is made up of the chord sequence from one of those songs. Oh wow! I can tell this from retrospect now because it wasn't intended, but that yeah that a, a song we played called "Star Signs." stuck mm-hmm. around and 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 yeah now it ended up on this record strangely yeah. enough so do you remember like the feeling the f- the first time feeling of performing because obviously you had experience performing in the choir which is a great precursor you know it's a great uh, way to introduce yourself into that that idea of having people watch you but when you started with Wild Beast, was there much thought to it, or did you just feel comfy enough with Ben? You just went into it. There was not. There was not. There was no thought. There was no okay. real. I mean, I, I didn't have any idea about what it meant to to be in a band or the scene or any way of navigating our way towards um, doing it professionally. Uh, I probably had a, an annoying assumption that, that, that you know I, I, was, I was probably a pretty annoying kid in that I, assume, <laughs> I, I assumed that if we meant I, I assumed that if we meant it enough mm-hmm. it would be okay okay <laughs> I, I I assumed that meaning it equated to making it yes oh but the, isn't that like I don't want to be patronizing but I think that's kind of precious there's something especially when creating when you're so young we're like the whole world you know, you're such a, you don't realize that you have no perspective. You don't realize no. what you are in context to the world. So no. there's something kind of beautiful about putting exactly. so much intention into it. Like, you know, even just performing songs for your parents, you know, a lot of, a lot of people yeah. did that, you know, you make yes. a song up yes. and then you go and sing it to your parents <laughs> in the lounge. It's so strange yeah. Yeah, so because true. your parents are like, Oh fuck, I just want to have a bath. I want to <laughs> fucking make some dinner yeah. <laughs> it's the last yeah. time I've, yeah. the last thing I feel like doing but yeah. yeah you know I think I think there's something really wonderful in that um that kind of childlike intention so after that show and then you started to write albums and play was there a show that you what was your let's go back what was your very first show that you saw so not the one that you performed but uh but the first show that you you actually saw live the first show i ever saw live uh in truth was an embarrassing one okay hit me <laughs> it was go for I it mean, it was a, it was stereophonics but why is that embarrassing i love them oh but maybe it's not embarrassing to me oh okay <laughs> maybe maybe can i can i can i withdraw the embarrassing no say yes it was it withdraw. was stereophonics <laughs> great there you go that's amazing do you like the um, okay yeah <laughs> um, okay where, I do where like did it. that's quite a skill <laughs> thank you um where okay where was that show why was why do you feel it's embarrassing i'm sorry i'm not letting you withdraw it it is it's it's not like it doesn't have the stamp of like uh patty smith or exactly. you know leonard exactly. cohen or exactly it was at donnington park okay. which is a, a typically it's like a kind of a heavy, it's a kind of a a venue where Iron Maiden play or Metallica would play. Right, yes. It's this huge kind of 50,000 person space. And uh, we got a bus for three hours to Donington Park and and um, 
I was totally, totally terrified. Uh, <laughs> Why? Because at one moment, and I've, I haven't ever experienced it since, there was a domino of people. So okay. I would say maybe five acres worth of people fell mm. over simultaneously. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm, I giggle when I get nervous. That's terrible. It oh, was, God. And I kind of came to with kind of someone... It was. It got kind of desperate. The, the really primitive yeah. survivalistic aspect of people of shows, yes, of shows, especially shows. You know yeah. what? I tell a lie. I tell a lie. I saw a show. <laughs> I saw a show before that. <laughs> you I just don't want me to picture you in a domino effect of human beings in a stadium. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the truth of it too. Is the first show I saw was okay. Oasis. Ah. In, Lon- in London, okay. in Finsbury Park. So me and my pals um, got the train down to London to see Oasis at Finsbury Park in uh, 2001, I think it would have been. Oh, wow. Uh, so how old were you then? What? How old were you? Uh, 15. Okay. That was your first um, concert? Yeah. What did you think? Do you remember it at all? Other than obviously the motion of getting there, do you do you I'm, remember? I the remember it so vividly because it was the chaos of London. Mm. Um, I remember being astounded that, that, that this was the way adults behave. <laughs> I saw two people having sex on a at a bus stop. Oh my god! I was I was offered crack cocaine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, London's wild though sometimes like I lived there for a few years it's it's fucking crazy like let's just be honest I don't know about now but it gets fucking crazy if you yeah. if you want to peel back the layers they're there and they're there quickly yes <laughs> okay so you taught saw two people having sex you were offered drugs and yep. how how not advanced were you by that point like how because you came from a, a kind of small-ish in comparison place oh yeah so what did you were you interested in any of that kind of crazy version of uh, being a human how how much did that entice uh... you <laughs> i was fascinated that music made this <laughs> made that possible okay <laughs> Yeah, that was my. That was the truth of it. Was <laughs> good that, answer. These songs that I loved, and these songs had such a response in people that this was how they should appropriately behave. Yes. Okay. I I loved that. That was the cause and effect. Mm. And so you saw Oasis. Did you take any notes from how they performed? Like, how focused were you on the on the performative aspect of that band? Because there is so much there that I think a lot of people don't really talk about, but. How how focused were you on that, or were you just focused on the feeling of being there in that crowd in that moment? I was pretty fascinated at the craftsmanship mm. and and the showmanship. Um, they didn't play well that day, and I think history has written them as not playing well that day. Okay, they, they themselves, I think, have come to say that that wasn't the strongest. It was loud. I remember the volume. Mm. Mm. It was loud. It was the loudest thing I'd ever heard. And it was exhausting. <laughs> I mean, you sound exhausted talking about it. It was exhausting. Like I feel it was terrible. Just sen- I've made sensory you feel... overload. Yes. Sensory overload on all fronts, you know. Because it was it was full exposure. It was full city, full mm. rock and roll, full 
debauchery. You know, it was. I grew up in a small mountain town. That was mm. the first time I went to. That was the first time I went to the big city without my parents. Wow! <laughs> and you went to an Oasis concert. Oh, yeah. Rookie. Yeah, <laughs> rookie. At least dip your toe, like you know, take a trip in for a day, and then. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. But so mm. after that performance, because if you say that that was around fifteen, is that when you started the band? Was it before or after? Um, it was pretty soon after that. But sen- was there a live performer then that you had seen on TV or something where you didn't necessarily want to emulate how they were performing, but it definitely, you saw that and you went, right, that's exactly... Because I'm, I'm kind of trying to build the connection between the performance side of you versus the voice and the creative side of you. Obviously, oh, those things yeah. are the same. Um, but when did that that version of you come into play? Oh, that was through sheer necessity. Okay. That's my, you know, I mean, in terms of I wrote, I learned all the I learned all the Oasis songs and and learned the craft of how they were written and 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 um, but performing live, the performative thing for me is something I've had to cultivate and and literally, literally, craft. Like it's not something I would say that is um is innate within me at all really the, uh, no no oh, wow. um, it's something i've come to understand as a beautiful kind of resource and, and mm. way of being in the world and a way of kind of um being with people and strangely enough for someone who is like myself who is uh very much on the reclusive of a reclusive nature it's a way of really having to kind of, in a beautiful way, come into the world and be in, in the world. And that, um, yeah, so it, it is it is absolutely terrifying to me. Is, do you still feel that now? Because, I mean, looking at, I actually went to try and double check when you did start because I wanted to make sure that I didn't have my facts incorrect. But so you toured quite solidly every year from 2007 there wasn't a year that you didn't tour and where the the tour it was robust you went around the world maybe to a country you didn't you didn't maybe go a couple of times you went once or twice but you know your majority Mm. of your shows were in the UK but that's a lot of performances so it was a lot how what did you do before the performance happened to rid yourself of that feeling that you know that that like we were talking about earlier, that sense of failure. How did you jump into that role comfortably? Or was it just by experience and, and repeating something? Yeah, I mean, I guess fear, fear is... Ter- terror is fascinating. Mm. Mm. You know, sometimes the fear of something is so fascinating because because of the scale of its sensation. And, and I guess... Being on stage is is a suspension. You're, mm. it, it is is it, it it is a being. It is a presence. It is a being in the now. That is not possible in 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 life in many other ways. How much of yourself do you feel like though when you are on stage? Because looking, or maybe mm. how maybe what's kinder to ask, I suppose, because you are going into this new world and you are 
world building, yeah. you know, this new yeah. version of yourself. Um, in the past with Wild Beasts, did you find comfort in having your friends and family on stage with you? And in by effect going towards this new set of songs, how are you how are you approaching that performative side of yourself? Because I think that those are very different. So interesting. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. Thanks for that. Um, what I've come to realize and only in this conversation is that why rehearsing in my front room has thus far proved quite frustrating and unsatisfying <laughs> is because I know there are aspects of me that are dormant until I'm on stage and no, yes. no rehearsal and no no pretend gig mm. will ever summon that guy until you're on the stage. And I guess that's where the terror comes from. It's, it's, the, yeah. it's the knowledge that there are aspects of me which only exist within that space. Mm. And it takes that unique alignment of, of place and position to, to bring it out. And um, it therefore doesn't become the kind of the reliable me mm, yeah <laughs> like will he be there <laughs> it, will he be there yeah. is he gonna turn up exactly i mean he's there yeah he's always there but uh, yeah it's, it's it's a scary notion but i love i love separating it especially with you and in this conversation because it's so often difficult to reflect on on those being separate because everybody is of course very different and everybody approaches their art differently but oh, i totally. think especially because as you as both of us have said the word solo is so limiting there's so it's mm. it's so limiting to where you can go what you can do the perception of you are your fans you know it's just it's that in as you mentioned right at the beginning of this the invisible audience mm. um so how are you going to make sure that you are very kind to yourself in the process of re-entering the world after what it's been two years now or mm, has it been mm, a year mm, two years yeah 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 uh i i don't know um you know i've always been if you don't mind i'm just gonna pull it a little bit a bit back to the, what we're talking about before about on yeah stage yeah i've always i've always been really envious of people who have who it strike me as only breathing true oxygen on stage right kind of subsisting barely off stage mm. and it's as if they're awoken on stage and they can fully be my sensation is what, what i've discovered with myself is where i can the, the inner world the recluse in me the inner world is the place where i can fully be where that 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 land is fully oxygenated and and i can breathe and um the boundaries between worlds are always going to be tumultuous making peace with that and in terms of how to be kind to myself it's to mm -hmm. accept it's to accept myself within the tumultuous nature of all of this that it's gonna at times be abrasive and it's gonna at times be totally life-affirming mm -hmm. and, and to make peace with the fact that one of the other those sensations aren't necessarily governed by my actions they're just governed by how it works out are you superstitious? I think I never really asked you if you were or not. How much of your, especially the performance side of you, that aspect and that world, how much are you going to rely on 
the things that you used to do? Oh, uh, good question. I think I'm going to have a very different process. Oh, that's great. I yeah. mean, that's exactly what I think these songs deserve as well. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I think I'm planning on meditating before. Okay. <laughs> what, is that never a thing that you used to do? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, Why do you feel it's going to be necessary? Or, or did you do did you do some form of meditation just in a, a very un, just a different way with a band? With a band, the intention of the music is inherent in the characters. Okay. That that when you're when when you the group think mm. imposes upon you the intent. Okay, that makes sense. And within a group, what is most beneficial for the group is always what wins out in any mm. circumstance. And in a band circumstance the group think is we need to fucking kill this gig yeah so that tends to be the sentiment but if you're alone in a dressing room and you're playing kind of delicate heartbroken white heterosexual man at the piano stuff mm. um which <laughs> that's gonna be the headline for this <laughs> white heterosexual man makes music <laughs> exactly no i'm kidding but yeah no i, I mean I'm not. No, no, I know. I mean, I love. I, I honestly, I applaud you. I love. I love that you are so self-aware and uh, self-deprecating at the same time. It's really charming. But there's definitely that aspect of, um, like, how I, I suppose when you started thinking about the live show and putting these songs into a live. Because what if you if you wrote the most of it before the band broke up and then you wrote another one. How long did it take to record? Because what have you what have you been doing? Oh well, it, it, I mean the songs were written before the last shows, and then I recorded the week after the last show. Okay. For, for three months, and once the record was finished, I've what have I been doing? Is a very good question. <laughs> um, drinking, <laughs> drinking rooibos tea, and yeah, I mean, plan, <laughs> plotting, plotting, plotting. <laughs> Putting hexes on your enemies, yeah. <laughs> but going back to the dress, going back to the the, yes. the intent on 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 these shows and how to prepare. I guess mm. the difference is when it's just you and the songs and you and the piano. The intent is crucial, and it's like it's like the intent of a kiss. It's like mm. you might be kissing, but you might be kissing me, but no, fucking kiss me. Mm, or, right. Or or like. You might be speaking to me, but fucking speak to me. Mm. And mm. It, it's it's the intent. And it's about just kind of trying to dial in that intent in, in a way that does justice to the initial sensation of the song. Mm. I love how you put that. Is it? Are there certain places that you find will will fill that intent and fulfill that intent? fully like where because i don't even i don't have where you're touring or if you are touring a lot i don't have the dates or anything in front of me but or the location but have you chosen the venues based on 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 that as well pretty much yeah exactly it is, okay. it is me in a, it is me in a piano uh, with very small audiences um very intimate and just to kind of i guess rely on that initial intent of the songs and to um be as close as possible, I guess, to the 
spark of that idea. I think that's that's also smart because if you were to try and mimic what you were doing with the band, I don't think that would be very honest. You know, like if you just decided to play big, big audiences mm. straight away. Well, exactly. I mean, it's also it's also it, it feels intuitively like the appropriate thing to do. I'm loving mm. the idea of getting on a Eurostar mm. on Tuesday and going to the instrument, the piano in this room. The the carbon footprint of a rock and roll band is mm. pretty is pretty apocalyptic. Yeah, it's nobody talks about it. I don't I don't I, I mean it's because they don't it's it's that thing of like recycling in the 80s you know it's like they knew it needed yeah, to be done yeah. but nobody wanted to broach the topic it's pretty yeah. awful yes so i guess you know it is i mean i guess the, there's also the carbon there's a carbon footprint and there's also the kind of um i always i became pretty aware that the money that was needed and the mm. the equipment required and the logistical planning required just to play a song that I'd written. How I wanted to play it was quite shocking. Mm. Mm. So the fact that I can get on this train and go to a place and sing my song and for that to be enough right. is is pretty alluring. Right. And fits with, of course, your journey and where you are at now. Exactly. Yeah. Was there anything that when you were performing over all these years, was ha, has there been a, anything shocking that you've seen from stage? I don't think I've ever really asked this to anybody <laughs> because I always think like the shit I see, because I take photographs as well for, for shows, and the stuff I see going on in that crowd is mind-blowing you know it's just mm. some stuff is just i don't ever want to repeat it it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> but so is there anything crazy that you've seen from stage or do you feel like you're always so into the moment and uh, you're not really focused on that well the last show i played was that was the last well show and that was many many people fully weeping and Oh my gosh. Fully kind of surrendered to this moment of passing and what it meant to them. That something that has so beautifully that that meant something to them that they were having to relinquish its its its, its presence in their life. So you um, saw that? I saw that. I mean, oh I saw gosh. that lots and lots and lots of people openly weeping at me. Oh my me. God. Oh God. That was a really. Oh. It, it, it was a kind of beautiful it was a beautiful sensation men and women just were you crying all, i wasn't crying i didn't cry i didn't cry I, everyone i know and loved cried around me and i didn't cry and i, I had to think i had to think about that for a long time as to why i didn't oh, but then really? i think there is i was singing for an hour and a half yeah 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 you know it, if people, if if someone cries a lot, try singing. You'll cry mm. less. You do. <laughs> no, it's completely counted. Yeah, you you cannot, you can't do the both both at the same time. Well, well you can't do this at the same time because singing does the job that crying does. Mm. You don't need to cry if you sing. Oh, I love that. I really love that. I never saw it. Mm. I never saw it like that. I didn't actually think about that time 
um, and how it would have affected you. I didn't think how you reacted or what have you. I just know that the world was just so sad. You know, your fans were mm. were were noticeably mm. upset, of course. Yeah, in ways that I, uh, uh, yeah, in, in in incredible in incredible ways. So that was that was a strange thing to see from stage. Was was mass crying. Um, Do you are you looking forward to performing? Or are you looking forward to the album just being out there? Like how? Because I think in the beginning I asked where you are at now, but I kind of want to just zoom zoom a little bit forward. I'm really, I, re I really can't wait to have these songs in a room with people. Mm. I, I, I really can't wait for these songs to belong in other people's minds and for people to have the grace to accommodate them if they so choose, you know. Because um, it'll help me understand them more and and get it more true too. You know, the, a song is um, it's a living thing. It keeps developing as your mm. memory of it develops, as your understanding of it develops, as 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 your memory develops and as your emotionality develops. You know, the songs that we listen to as kids that still resonate with us now. We listen to both. We listen to them as both children and adults, mm. but they they have that. They still have that life force that means they grow with you. And I'm ready for these songs to be out of my front room and for people to, yeah, invest with me in what they might mean. Is there someone that something that you wish someone told you when you were younger, when you were that 15 year old mm. boy? Is there something that you wish they would have said that? you know, hold up now that would help you now? That's a lovely question. Being a musician is quite an acutely demanding thing on certain aspects of your psyche. Mm. Say if you're an actor, you, you act within this film that doesn't belong to you, the film doesn't belong to you, and you're acting as someone else and it's direct, direct, directors also involved, um, and you move on to something else. As a painter, you don't have to repaint it live in front of someone. Mm -hmm. You make the work and it exists. Mm -hmm. But but I guess the personal liability as a musician is quite acute. Mm -hmm. Like you write the song, you are the song, you mm -hmm. play the song, you answer questions about the song. <laughs> yeah. Um, you are that person. That person is you. It, I simultaneously think I'm the luckiest guy in the world to get to worry about songs and, and also mm -hmm. as an adult. As an adult, I'm really just present about the fact that this is not an undertaking to take lightly mm. in terms of, uh, you know, yeah, your well-being. You know your responsibility. Yeah. What it asks of you. and, and mm. um, it, Because it asks all of you. Mm. It asks all of you if you have to give all of yourself to get satiated from it. So that's, that's, that's my bind. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say to that 15-year-old self, I don't know, you forgive yourself for your indiscretions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, uh, I, you know, there will be enough judgment, don't judge yourself. Always keep the scent of the fact that music does reach and touch and it does land in places that you yourself will never inhabit, mm. but it, it, it is worth something. It is, it is, it is a contribution, at least mm. at the very least, you know. Sometimes people think, oh, if you're a musician, you love music. I mean, I've spoken to people who are like, I fucking hate music. I don't want to listen to mm. it. I want to read books. I want to watch shows. Um, mm. And then I make my music, and it's such a private thing. 
But it clearly mm. sounds like you appreciate the art of actually making music from others as well and, and being on the recipient end of it. There are certain songs which have changed my life and there are certain songs which, without their existence, I wouldn't be me. Really? Like what? Give me one before we go. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's hard to give me one. You can give well, me I mean, in many, many Leonard Cohen songs. Oh, uh, yes. For start, I mean, that's kind yes. of my go-to, you know, um, many Kate Bush songs. Mm. But, I, you know, it's like the thing you were speaking about earlier where that the song teaches you of the emotion. Mm. The mm. song kind of instructs you on how to feel. And I think we all, we all kind of assume that we all know how to feel. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and the kickback for our theme song, Rube and buy their music at thekickbackband.com. Lexi Frame for the artwork, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and the Consequence Podcast Network, where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtg pod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i miss you all week Consequence Podcast Network.